0: Welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast, everyone. My name is Christopher Turner, and I am your host. Thank you for tuning in today. Sorry for the delays. Every single podcast I do live, it seems like I have something to apologize for. (laughs) Um, But I had, again, some issues with another part of the podcast, and now I have the audio version fixed and recording. As you can see, I've done some work on the backgrounds of the YouTube videos and the live videos here, so it's a little more aesthetically pleasing for you. Um, But without further ado, I want to get right into it. It's been a while. It's been, what, 12 days since I had that last episode expectations. And actually, now that I remember, I want to thank everyone who has been listening to the podcast up until now. Um, I've experienced a massive amount of growth in this podcast over the last, like, week or two. Something like, 200 300 400 percent growth right i haven't really looked at it but it's a lot of growth and i'm it's all due to you guys so thank you so much uh, for tuning in thank you for listening to the messages and thank you for applying them in your life right for testing these things out because that's the whole purpose behind this also um i really appreciated having my mom on that last episode i really enjoyed having someone to have a dialogue with Uh, It kind of brought the conversation, uh, I think, into a more relevant place. And uh, because of that, I have started to look into uh, scheduling other people to come on the show. So um, that is going to be a new kind of uh, direction I'm taking the show, more of an interview style uh, moving into the future. But there's also still going to be these kind of talking head versions of the the podcast as well um, when I do get a message that I think is important enough uh, to come on here and talk to you guys about. Okay. So... There's been a lot, a lot going on in my life recently. Um, (laughs) And it's good, as you can see. But that actually brings me to what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about good and evil. The reason I want to talk about good and evil is because this is... The idea of good and evil is something that I've been trying to develop in myself throughout this podcast, trying to identify the places, the proper... how to place good and evil in the proper context. And in the last week or two, I've had some realizations and those realizations have been enabled through another person. Something like a deep deep spiritual connection that I've found here with a very special individual. someone who's expanding on the ideas uh, that I've talked about with you in here and is actually pulling out kind of a deeper version of me and I'll go get into what I mean by that, either in this episode or at some point, because it's going to require an entire episode of explaining. But anyway, I want to start with a quote here. Let me see if I got this streamed up right. Oh, that's the end. Sorry, guys. I'm getting still getting used to my transitions here. So this is the quote I want to read to you today. And I think it's oddly relevant because of the chaos we see spreading in the world. It connects... Um, Very nicely but in a kind of an uncomfortable way to the podcast we had a couple weeks ago, that Expectations podcast, right? This quote is by Twain Quotes, which I'm assuming maybe is related to Mark Twain in some way, but the quote goes Half of the result of a good intention oh sorry, let me start that over. Half of the results of a good intention are evil. And half of the results of a evil intention are good. This is the fundamental idea that I've been chewing on. It's a fundamental idea that was presented to me through this very special person I'm hinting at. Something like the way I conceived or conceptualized evil was incorrect all the way up until a couple weeks ago. I have a very deeply traditional religious background. I was raised in the Catholic faith, as I've gotten into before, and that's what I practice now. But with any faith, as we've gone over before as well, there is a certain amount of dogmatism that exists within it. Those dogmas are things that I've tried to sort out through my life. Those dogmas are actually what caused me to turn away from my faith at a young age. It caused me to go out into the world and try to explore it in the secular way, in the secular worldview, try to find some sort of comfort, happiness, and satisfaction viewing the world through that lens. And what I found the more I did that is that I didn't find happiness or comfort or satisfaction. Actually, what I found was something like a deep nihilism develop inside myself. Something like a hatred for the suffering that exists in the world and the deep lack of meaning that I saw developing in it. I think where we need to start with this is with the evil side, the idea of evil. Let's define it really quick. Let's do our trusty Wikipedia. I like Wikipedia because you get crowdsourced information, which I think is actually more reliable than most experts, but hey. All right. Evil. This is directly from Wikipedia. Evil, in a general sense, is the opposite or absence of good. The opposite or absence of good. This is critical. It can be an extremely broad concept, although in everyday usage it is often used more narrowly to talk about profound wickedness. Let's go ahead and define wickedness real quick. Wickedness is generally considered a synonym for evil or sinfulness. Among the theologians and philosophers, it has the more, it has the more specific meaning of evil committed consciously and of free will. It can also be considered the quality of being evil wicked the state of being wicked consciously and of free will committing evil with the intention of evil that's what wickedness is right but if we go back to our definition of evil it is generally seen as taking multiple possible forms such as the form of personal moral evil, which is, I think, what we usually uh, associate it with, commonly associated with the word or impersonal natural evil, as in the case of natural disasters or illness. So evil at a broad scale, destruction at a broad scale, right? And in religious thought, the form of the demonic or supernatural slash eternal, so the spiritual side, the astral side of this, the demonic or supernatural entity that embodies Evil incarnate, right? Satan or Lucifer, right? This idea of a being who started out as one of God's highest angels, one of his favored sons, right? But then the way we look at or view the identity of evil, the way we anthropomorphize it, we have no way of seeing. The thing that lies underneath, beneath, that wickedness. That there is something that lies underneath all wickedness. That it is in some ways impossible to not associate all of the qualities of one side, evil, right? It's impossible to not anthropomorphize that in some way, to conceptualize it as a singular thing. Something that's separate from what we would identify as good or light. But there's something insufficient about that explanation. There's something... There's a devolving nature in it. Why? Well, I think it's because... Let me switch this over real quick, guys. I think it's because there's something... I don't like to identify people that have hurt us or things that have hurt us with something that's been corrupted something that originally wasn't that because it's easier for us in our mind to compartmentalize those scenarios those experiences it's easier for us to think about those in a zero sum way as if as soon as somebody crosses over a certain line they become wicked Evil incarnate, an idea. But that if you look at any individual person's life, take somebody that's actually hurt you deeply, maybe somebody that has acted in a wicked way, that you've seen, that you know has acted in a wicked way, did something intentionally to pull you apart, to hurt you, to make you suffer. I want you to think about that person as a child, as a baby. The idea of wickedness is, like, all-consuming. It's all-encompassing. It's the idea that there is no light. Evil committed consciously and of free will. The choice to be evil. The choice to go to that side. And the repetition of it, right? But that no being started that way, not even Hitler that's the thought experiment I brought up before and that's the one that's probably the most common goes something like if you were able to identify baby Hitler and you knew beforehand that he was going to be somebody that committed the atrocities he committed would you kill the baby to save the millions of lives that he was going to destroy that's a very hard thought experiment Is one life more important than others? Is a vast quantity of lives more important than one? Right? The idea in that is that you could somehow discern inherent evil within a child. But that I've still never found anybody that can identify that or wants to or chooses to say, Hey... This baby's gonna be the most evil thing that ever walks the earth. We have no way of knowing that. At one level, probably because the future isn't real, because time isn't real. So that what we create in our head of a future evil thing, if we were looking at a, a Hitler, there's nothing saying that's true. There's nothing saying that's solid. There's nothing saying that that is the reality that's gonna unfold in the future. For instance, you you could be living in an alternate universe Or something like that. I'm getting deep on this, right? But let's say there's a myriad of different parallel universes, right? And that this is the only one where Hitler was a murderer. Maybe in another one, he was an artist. Maybe in another one, he was just a political leader. You see what I'm saying? Because what happens to people as they grow up... We've also gone over this a lot, and and I'm sorry for repeating myself, but I think it's important in this context. But as we go through life... We tend to accumulate the things, oddly enough, that hurt us. Why do we accumulate them? Because we hold on to them. We don't know how to sort through them. We don't know how to let go of the energy that's been inspired inside of us. Or we trick ourselves out of seeing the proper path through which you could have some kind of release, especially as children especially as we've gotten further away from the spiritual, uh, spiritual side of things. Because within religions, within the religious doctrines and the metaphors that exist within each religion, that's how we teach people how to release the suffering that they're going to experience in their life. It's also how we demonstrate that they're going to experience suffering in their life. The lesson that many of us in this generation were never taught, actually quite the opposite, Many of us in this generation were taught that if you don't like something in the world or if something causes harm to you, what you need to do is deliver a certain type of retribution. A certain type of retribution we've labeled justice, but in that perverted the idea of justice. That justice, as we've also gone over before, is something like balance that doesn't satisfy either side. Satisfaction is winning. It's another way to call that. It's another another way to describe that. So that if you approach any scenario where you've been hurt as if you want to go and implement justice in the way I just described towards that person, what you're going to do is cause either the identical type of hurt that they caused inside of you or something brand new, something new that you have nothing, no conception of some kind of pain that you're going to intentionally wickedly institute inside of that person. But there's the weird thing. That's a wicked act that we've defined as good through our legal system, through the perversion of it over centuries the way in which people manipulate rules and laws, right? There's a lot of things that have contributed to this. It's something like a gradual downfall of society at a greater level, at a higher level, a disconnection from purpose, as Nietzsche described, which would then cause a nihilism inside of the individual at an individual level so that there would be nothing to look towards except for broken ideas where we would place those broken ideas in place of the idea of God or our spirituality. Something like An ideology, a faux religion, something that harnesses the same characteristics or the same feelings, the same faith that religion does, but does it in a very insidious way, gets people to act on that faith by telling them that they're victims in some way, and twists their belief into something that's focused on justice and retribution. And something that's wicked, the corruption, the corruption that happens within inside all of us. Baby Hitler wasn't born evil. Nobody was. Because the anthropomorphized idea of evil as being a singular thing, as not having another side to it, is wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. The way I want to describe this to you is similar to how I've described birth and death. When you think about significant events in somebody's life, there's two significant events that everybody experiences, which makes it universal, right? That also are incredibly similar in that we don't know the other side of them. We don't know the other side of that door, that being birth and that being death. There's a lack of memory that goes as soon as you are born and as soon as you die, right? There's no, there's no translation, or maybe there is. I've gone over how I think there is, but it's very subtle so that the translation is... Sorry, I'm getting a buzzing here, guys. Hold on. You guys getting that? Sorry. There we go. So that the... The translation between those two, th- let me start over there, birth and death are very similar in that idea, they're the same side of this, of, of the two sides of the same door. They're similar in that we don't know what's on the other side of them, which I think intrinsically connects them together, makes them remarkably similar. Now if you carry this idea and try to anthropomorphize it a little bit more and think about death as a character, And also think about life as a character. What you'll find is that in the embodiment of death, you'll find the opposites of life and vice versa. So that in reality, what death and life are, are something like two sides of the same door. Two sides of the same coin. The same thing. Which is like, whoa. Death and life are the same thing. Two names for the same transition. Something like that. But that if you carry that out, that death is also associated with other things. Like suffering, right? It's the ultimate suffering. The lifelong suffering of knowing you're going to die. (laughs) And everybody is. Not just you, but everybody around you, right? Also, the realization that everybody around you and you is alive. something like if you didn't have death you wouldn't know you're alive (laughs) something like death is necessary to the process that is unfolding in in front of us every second of every day so that in that the suffering that death entails is also necessary that at a fundamental level suffering is associated with death and that suffering is also how you grow You take it back to the ad- example we were using, right? Let's take Hitler for example. Again, you have this uh, this this baby, this unadultered baby that goes out into the world, fights in World War One, experiences the, her, the atrocities, the absolute despair somebody can experience when witnessing the violence, the animalistic thing that lives inside of all human beings, once they actually get to watch that in real life, it's something like a, it's a certain type of suffering because it shows that inside of you lives the same thing. And oftentimes the things people do in war cause them to fracture internally. It breaks down their ego in a very violent way and oftentimes keeps them from being able to see how to build it back up in a positive way, how to identify who they really are through that ego dissolution. So that I think, if you think about Hitler, right, going through the kind of horrend- the atrocities that he saw before he became the horrendous thing that he was at the end of his life. And horrendous isn't the right way to describe it. You're going to understand here in a second The that What he was was unbalanced in a very specific way. That I think what Hitler did is something like he confused himself with God. This is a tripping point for many people on their spiritual ascension. That there's a differentiation between you as a perspective and you and you as a higher being. That what you are is God, not the perspective God. Your perspective is your name. It's your body. But that once you start to identify that there are two, in some ways, versions of you, the avatar that roams around the world and the higher self, that is God, a piece of him, or her, right? You can very easily confuse yourself with the higher thing. Very easily. There's an ego inflation that can happen rapidly in that. When you have this kind of... Because it's the real transitions that you can feel. When you understand, when you see the separation between the ego and everything it's associated with, like the body and your perspective, separating from the deeper you that has something like a knowing and an innate love for everything inside of life. But that if you don't differentiate those two things properly, you can confuse yourself with the thing that's creating everything, the perspective that is creating everything. And once you do that, you try to institute it in the world, which is exactly what Hitler did. He tried to create, oddly enough, a perfect world. That's the whole point of Mein Kampf. It's the whole point Of everything that Nazi Germany did. They thought they were bringing in something like a higher version of the human being. Why is that scary? For me it's scary because hmm, I've gotten that message before too. I think a lot of people do. I do think that the human being is developing and evolving into something like a higher version of itself. But I think what... Where Hitler went wrong is he caught that message and then said, okay, I'm the thing that can institute it because I'm God. <laughs> right? And then tried to force some kind of transition. I'm I Actually, you I need to preface this. I'm not condoning anything Hitler did. Okay? <laughs> anything. When I say that I think we're evolving, I'm not condoning what his practice was. What I'm saying is I think we need to have this development naturally. Something like everybody interacting and the higher versions of every single person, regardless of their race, sex, gender, whatever they identify as their perspective, everybody coming together and evolving through something like a conversation, a discourse that occurs not only on the physical plane, but something that translates up into a higher version of themselves too. That I do believe in in Hinduism you see this, and this is something... um, That I'm gonna. Bethany is her name, but this is the the girl that I've been uh, talking to a lot recently, and I have had all these realizations with. And one of the things that she has talked about with me is this idea that exists within Hinduism of of the gods, the higher beings, spirit itself existing on kind of a parallel plane to the earth. And and you you see this in the the Vedas in ancient Hinduism that when chaos happens on the earth, it's something like a mirroring of the higher versions. The the parallel universe at war with themselves, right? You see this in the, in ancient uh, texts as well too. Greek and Roman mythology, you see this idea of, of the Titans fighting the gods and the gods fighting amongst themselves and the gods trying to manipulate the human beings and then the the gods trying to create demigods to interact with the human beings. You see what I'm saying? Like there's this way in which we reflect, our world is a reflection of the higher version or the higher, the, the spirit world right so that what you do when you create the most evil evil wickedness is you try to control things but total control is where the most wickedness comes through because it's intentional it's everything you do you intend to do you're not following anything else. You're not mirroring a higher plane of existence. You're controlling this plane through your perspective, what you associate as you. And once you've associated yourself as God incarnate in that perspective, oh man, you're justified in doing literally anything. And you can do it with the best intentions. <clears throat> Ain't that funny? I see some corollaries between what's going on in our current situation here, guys. That's partially why I wanted to talk about evil. The point I'm coming to, the point I've realized inside of myself, if I haven't summarized it properly enough, because I've been kind of jumping all over this place, is something like evil and good, or evil and light, or darkness and light, are two sides of the same coin. It's represented in the cycles of the day and the night. That they're both necessary. That you wouldn't want to have all day. (laughs) And you wouldn't want to have all night. What you want is a balance day over night, day over night. That's what you want in your life too. That's what you want in the world. You don't want that perverted form of justice that we've associated with justice. What you want is balance. (laughs) I'm not saying that your ego wants that. I'm saying that's what you need. Balance. Everybody. Me included. A balance between the light and the dark. The day and the night. Good and evil. Same ideas. All of them. But we like to take that evil concept and separate it out. Say no, because it's convenient for me to try to label people as inherently evil. I'm just going to say that that's a different thing, it's a separate thing, that it's a tied to an identity that is the is. This is where it's messed up because I th- we actually think about the anthropomorphization of evil as Lucifer or Satan being something like the opposite, like the the enemy of god, right? Which in some ways when you present that idea in that fashion, it raises that evil thing up to equivalent to god and and, and but separate from, right? Like sets up to the equation that evil is the same thing or is is as powerful as what i mean as god, but it's separate from him. Because it's an enemy. So it's constantly trying to overtake, right? And oh, sorry. Pulled out my headphones. <laughs> I talk a lot with my hands. <laughs> trying to overtake. But that in reality, as we see in the story of Lucifer and Satan and the fall of Satan, Satan originally was God's highest angel, his most beautiful, his most intelligent. So that it's not proper to think about evil or the incarnation of evil as an enemy of God. The way I think we need to think about this is something like an evolution that there's inevitability inside of the intellect itself to question everything and to ratified holes in everything, including God. And that with Lucifer being identified with the logical being, the logical mind itself, what happened is something like a natural questioning of the existence and purpose of human beings, period, towards God. Not that it's evil, that it's an actual, like, It's the culmination of that idea of logic itself. Its whole point is to find holes and to explain things. So that when you look at life itself and humanity and you try to explain it without just saying it's a comedy. (laughs) Like the purpose is life. And what you do is try to find out ways to destroy it because it seems like it has no meaning then. It seems like all the suffering is, is completely and utterly unnecessary then why can't we have perfect, right? And in that you have the fall, the creation, the corruption that solidifies the anthropomorphized idea of evil. But evil is God. Because who created logic? Who created the being that devolved into evil? If God is all-knowing, did he know that when he created him? I think we're getting on to the point here. I think the answer is yes. I think everything creation has a purpose. I think free will exists, but I also think that there's something at a higher level that we're mirroring. There's a direction and a way in which things interact with us, somewhat guide and mirror their plane onto ours, but there's also a way in which you do you have choice in very specific times in your life, I think, that most choice is something of illusion. The everyday choice to go and eat and to go and drink and that kind of stuff is something like a, uh, it's a miniaturized version of, it's like practice for crossroads moments. You have like three or four or five or however many, but not, not. it's a finite amount of crossroad moments in your life. And when you come up to these points in time, you can feel it if you're listening because it'll inspire inside of you something like a deep stress, anxiety, questioning of everything you've done before that. Your ego itself starts to fall apart, right? And you wonder, where do I go next? Crossroads. You felt that before, haven't you? Everybody's felt that at some point and you're gonna feel it again. Those are the moments that you are functioning at the basic level. You're choosing. Right or left. Up or down. Good or evil. Dark or night. Mm -hmm. And inside of you, you have a battle going on. A battle between the logical mind and your soul. God, the story of good and evil inside of each human being. Why is this helpful? Why am I analyzing evil and good? And why am I trying to separate or actually combine them, not separate them? Because that's what we do naturally. Because as I've had this realization, it's awakened me to the spirit of this of darkness, of death. Something like once you once you are able to view death and darkness in its proper context, you can see its actual form. You can see that it is life. And that life is death. They created from the same source, the same single source. So that there's no need to eliminate Evil in the world, or suffering in the world, or darkness in the world. What's needed is a, s- a balance between the two. An effort by each individual to maintain the balance through their choice, through the way you act in the world. Those critical moments, those crossroad moments where you can feel the gravity of what you're about to do. Yeah. Why am I bringing this up? Also because I believe the spirit of death wants to be recognized for what it is. I believe part of the reason why we're experiencing so much suffering is because the way we view suffering and death is in balance, so that it's in some ways calling out on, it's on, only the negative aspects of it. It's not leveraging suffering properly. Recognizing that in very odd ways, when you experience evil it is God acting and that's crazy huh but it's God acting in a very specific way it's God calling out who you are how do you get somebody to stand up how do you get somebody to refuse comfort how do you get somebody to work on themselves you make them suffer And you make them forget what they are, <laughs> so that the baby really is the thing that knows. The child inside of you is the complete you. It's the complete version of you that came to this 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 earth, that incarnated in this form. And the purpose of it is to grow. So that if you are just doing a, something like comfort, if you're focusing only on comfort, but you're also experiencing a lot of suffering that's why (laughs) you see what i'm saying suffering is god calling you out get off your ass that's what it is (laughs) right now let's try to blow this out blow this up that's a weird way to say it into context right we had some pretty crazy events happen about a week ago at the u.s capitol And I wanted to get on here and talk about them right away, but I think there's a reason I didn't because I was obviously developing this idea and I think it's intrinsically related to what we saw develop at the Capitol and what is going on right now. Because folks, what I said in the expectations episode, I meant, and I was trying to be somewhat light about it. But we are headed for suffering. And if you don't don't see the signs now, you might wanna open your eyes because they're there. What we have happening in the U.S. right now at a high level is something like a civil war, but it's cold. And it's, it's hard to identify when that started, but we do have two factions within the United States that have labeled the other as inherently wicked. What does that do? What does that mean when you have the idea of wickedness being something that's intrinsic? When it's something that people were born with? that you couldn't help them if you tried. They're too far gone. They're too lost, right? What do you do? There's only one thing to do. You can't reason with them. You get violent. This is what's happened throughout history. This is how war happens. Bloodletting is something like the way in which the universe and God teaches people that the only way to progress is through sharing their spirit with other people that no progression happens through violence what happens is a certain type of pause (laughs) okay the conversation pauses let's go murder each other for 5 or 6 or 10 years until we get so incredibly overwhelmed with the amount of suffering that's existing in our world that we have to question are we the ones creating it hence peace treaties Every time you have a peace treaty it is it is directly related to a certain type of exhaustion a spiritual exhaustion that is created through the violent act the, the incredibly unbalanced act of being violent And there's no way fundamentally that violence can be can create light good it is the opposite of it right it is it But only focusing on the unbalanced version of it can't bring the other form of it in. Does that make sense? If you only look at one side of the coin, you don't know there's a reverse. Until you beat that coin so hard trying to figure out what the answer is that you accidentally flip it over. (laughs) Something like that. I don't know if that's a good analogy. I can't see the future, nobody can, because the future doesn't exist (laughs) yet. What I can see is something like a repetition, a certain pattern, not a pattern at a greater level but a pattern inside the individual, how we interact with each other, how we experience the world, how we view it, and in what ways do we try to make it a better place? And what you find is suffering is created through people trying to make the world a better place. Because in that you're not realizing that there is no better. All of the perfection that you're Identifying or imagining in your head already exists in this reality. You're just not right in front of it. And you're not the thing that's supposed to have all of it. <laughs> it's like snippets of perfection being experienced in individual people's lives all over the globe at different times. It's an idea associated with miracles too. And I think the idea of perfection and miracle is kind of similar. That's Also, perfection is one of the routes to evil. Man, this is so tricky, this idea. Sorry for that noise if you heard it. It's so incredibly tricky to try to figure out how you're supposed to act in the world. Are you supposed to place yourself as a warrior against the darkness, as I've identified myself for most of this time? Most of this process that you've seen me talking on the podcast? This is a fundamental belief of mine the catholic belief that good and evil are two inherently different things, separate things. That I have on my arm, St Michael. And in the depiction of casting Lucifer out of heaven, right? That St Michael is one of the spirits and energies that I often am visited by, something like a guardian angel for me. But in that I had to recognize that the way I was conceptualizing the energy of Michael, something like a fighter, something like a warrior for light, it's insufficient because it's failing to recognize that what he's fighting against is his brother. <laughs> that in the casting out of Lucifer out of heaven, what's, what Michael is doing is casting his brother into hell. So that there's a love in the action that was taken. The violence is something like a response to unbalance, imbalance. In that context. But not an identification of inherent evil. I also don't believe that, I'm starting to get to this point too, that darkness, the evil one, I don't think it's right to think of that anthropomorphized identity as something that's in prison, in like a hell, right? I don't think that's that's. I mean maybe it is at some level but I think it's something like Oh maybe it is. Here. So How would you punish somebody that if you were God? Let's let's play this thought experiment. <laughs> if you were God, let's not play with it with it too long <laughs> unless lest we all become Hitlers, right? But if you were God and you had one of your divine Sons, daughters, come to you criticizing, expressing disgust with all of creation, what you've created, including them in some way, ironically enough, right? What would you do in that scenario? Well, you would cast them out in a way, but there'd be a purpose behind it there'd be a balance to it, and it'd be something like that unbalanced perspective, total logic, total control, the only way you balance that is to place it inside of something that's finite, the human being. What is Lucifer's prison? What is Satan's prison? It's us. (laughs) And hell is us. So is heaven. Hmm. <laughs> and there's something beautiful in that idea, isn't there? That's what I've found about truth. It's associated with beauty. You can't help but recognize it when you see it. Because it gives you a certain type of feeling. And that's how you can recognize truth. Not only in yourself, but in other people. Something like Beauty. Something like awe when you listen or see somebody act in a beautiful way. It's the way you feel when you look at a painting. It's the tingles you get when you listen to your favorite song. That tingling sensation that you often get. It's not just an outgrowth of nervous energy or something like that. I don't know how it's described scientifically, but... I'm sure it's not sufficient. (laughs) We could probably look it up here, but I don't know if it's actually going to be that useful. Because my point is, I know what those feelings are, and there's something deeply connected. It's something connecting you to the spiritual side. That when you experience beauty, and you experience... The chills that you get, that shiv- that 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 energy that you get when you listen to your favorite song, or you look at the Grand Canyon, or you see your partner and the beauty that they exude, or you listen to somebody that you absolutely love—all of that—you'll get this tingling sensation. That is not just an outgrowth of your body. That is your higher self recognizing you in somebody else. It's the way you can recognize God and other people through beauty. but you have to watch yourself. I'm getting it right now as I'm saying it. Do you understand? (laughs) Like, there's ways in which we are communicated with in very subtle ways that you will miss if you are not willing to look at them. But once you are, I don't know what to say. (laughs) i don't know the future and that's what i was getting at earlier i can't see that but i can see how people act and how people have acted in the past and how they respond how we get to war and we're there folks we are there and that's that is scary at one level it's terrifying but i don't say that to make you terrified I'm, I'm talking about this to try to place it in the proper context so that when you do see the violence that is coming when you do see the darkness in people you understand what it is so that you don't allow yourself to go down the same road so that you recognize that what's happening in front of you as horrendous as it is it really is all part of the plan And I I feel weird saying that. Ideally, we would have no suffering ever. We would have no war, we'd have no violence, all of that. If we had that, we'd have a very boring world. Because those things are the suffering. It's like the most direct or or obvious version of it. But you experience suffering inside of yourself, you also see it in the world and other people. You can't differentiate those things and call one version evil and one version not or something like that. It's all the same thing. And if everything we just went through is true, then it is part of the plan in some very specific way. I, do, I, I believe it's an, it's necessary to have a higher perspective moving towards what we're moving towards. That's why I've been I, realizing why I've been doing this podcast is to in some ways not only prepare myself, but to help prepare you for what is coming. To, to not focus on comfort and satisfaction too much because I don't think there's gonna be a lot of that type of feeling in the world for a little bit. Because of the imbalance, that comfort and satisfaction comes when you have day and night. But what we're going through is something like a global dark night of the soul. It's a night. It's a suffering. It's evil. I also want to go into a little bit about myself and my experience, like I said, and tying it into Bethany, because What I've recognized in her, meeting her, is something like, (laughs) this is going to sound weird, but God in somebody else. In her, I see the God. God. And I see it because it's Called out in me or reaffirmed in me my faith. So that what she's provided for me is something like truth. The real truth. Just by being her. And I hope that what I've been doing is something similar. But I've talked about these type of connections before. That there's very specific individuals you can come across in your life. that Do something like pull you out. The real you. And if you're not well put together, when that happens, it's going to feel like something like a deep suffering, a deep pain, terrifying. The first time we met, the interaction didn't go, ideally. And I think it was because we were recognizing the God in each other, but it was also something that caused an ego inflation immediately that demanded out of both of us something like, Letting go of control. It's the second time I pulled my headphones out. And allowing yourself to see where you're not well put together through the other person. That I hope you've come in contact with people like this in your life. It's different for everybody because everybody is very individual. But I truly do believe there are people out there that are specifically, they're so similar to you that they identify exactly where you're not well put together. Because it's like looking in a mirror. I think that can happen with everybody, actually. Oddly enough. I think that if we were ideally to all do this work, which I know will never happen (laughs) at the same time, right? What we would be able to recognize is that inside of every single person, God is you and me and everybody. But what i found in Bethany is something like somebody that has been doing that work and has gone through a lot of suffering in her life and has been forced to develop herself in a way that I think mirrors me very well. And the differences in that experience is exactly where the value is. I think there's something in that to kind of carry to a higher level. We have two factions, two groups of people that we could anthropomorphize into single individuals, right? Think of the left and the right as a single individual and all the characteristics that those groups embody kind of characterizing how the person looks and how they dress and all that kind of thing, right? And imagine these two individuals, these two... Leviathans of sort. If you engage with both all of the material, if you're a political junkie like I am, it's you'll very quickly recognize that what you'll do is vacillate back and forth between the two sides all the time if you're intellectually honest you'll find yourself understanding what the left is talking about and understanding what the right is talking about but then breaking from them at very specific points I think what that is is something like those two anthropomorphized leviathans staring at each other and recognizing what that they are the same thing (laughs) that what the left and the right want is the same thing, fundamentally. But the reason they're so angry at each other, the reason they're about to get violent is because they haven't properly identified what they are as a whole. That I do think this is more of a problem on the left, and the reason I say that is specifically because of the prevalence of secularism within left ideology. That there's a purpose behind that. That, that partially what left ideology, especially extreme left ideology, does is severs you from source by demanding a certain type of perspective, the secular perspective, which only is based in logic, so that you can't argue for anything else besides that. It's a certain type of control. But I also think that the right is being extremely intellectually dishonest. Consistently, over, all over and over, is consistently intellectually dishonest has a certain lack of compassion they refuse to acknowledge that is brought out when placed in context with the left because the left is something like compassion embodied but also something like corruption embodied (laughs) so it's like oh there's a lot of things that these two there's a reason why we're getting more and more extreme and it's because we're not recognizing where we're the same that we all are the same even at an individual level but even if you bring it out to an ideological level we're the same the only way we're going to realize that unfortunately at this point is with bloodletting Hmm. and nobody wishes that but also if you're smart you recognize you shouldn't try to eliminate it (laughs) (laughs) you should be the thing in between as above, so below, right? It's another example of light and dark, up and down, left and right. The duality within life. Very Eastern philosophy. But also a very Western one, as we've identified. Be the thing in between. In between the two worlds. Be both the avatar and the higher being. So that you can translate that eternal world into the physical. Physical. So you can describe for other people who you are, you can be that genuinely. Because unless you know what you are, you'll run around thinking you're something you're not. You'll play an ego game with everybody you meet. And in, anytime you see somebody that actually reflects what you truly are deep down, you will run. Because it's the most terrifying fucking thing you've ever seen. You'll run. Be the thing that doesn't. Do the work so that when you do, interact with those individuals, those people, those groups. You're the thing that can remain balanced. You're the thing that can see the God inside of them, the darkness and the light. Why? Because it's inside of you too. It's inside of all of us. And then that you can recognize that no person is lost. No person's too far gone. There is no ultimate corruption without light without source, without the soul. So that all corruption is in the way we like to think about it. No, that's not the right way to say it. That corruption is necessary for the development of the divine you. And there is no higher purpose in this life. There's nothing better than that. And my wish for you is to really embrace that idea, to become that person That's what I'm trying to do as well. We'll never be done, folks. There is no finish line. You're not going to reach perfection. What you can do is be the thing that tries. And that is everything. That is everything. So with that, guys, that is the Unfounded Podcast signing off. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will be back at it very soon. I'm going to be doing more scheduled podcasts. But thank you very much for your listenership. I hope you are enjoying the podcast. Like, share, and subscribe. I'll talk to you soon. Lots of love. Bye-bye.